0: I'll read for us out of Matthew chapter 27, verses 32 through 66. Matthew 27, starting in verse 32. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But The other said, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that impostor said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Thus his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Let's have a word of prayer. oh Father in heaven, as we uh, come now to consider your word, as we uh, think about it more deeply, uh, Father, may your, spirit, uh, may your spirit give us insight. May your spirit illumine us. May your spirit bring conviction of our sins and assurance of the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. Oh, Father, uh, be near to us now, we pray. In the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. Roman crucifixion was intended to be a cruel punishment. It was designed to strike fear into the hearts of the citizens of Rome and for those who were subjugated peoples of the Roman Empire. It was there to make sure that the people would not stray or misstep, that they wouldn't try and uh, revolt or rebel. Uh, It was reserved for bad criminals who deserved the worst. And the wheels of injustice had been moving slowly towards the point we come to in our text. And yes, I said that correctly. The wheels of injustice were moving slowly. Uh, Matthew 27, 32 through 66 tells us about the end of uh, what the... Uh, The religious leaders had planned and purposed and had uh, positioned themselves for all along. Uh, The governmental authorities, uh, Pilate, Herod, saw Jesus as a kind of curiosity, but not something worth losing their own lives over, especially as the crowds are, are, are raised to near riotous conditions in calling for his death. And so today I want us to consider this passage of uh, in Matthew 27 under four questions and so four questions for our consideration tonight the first is what was Jesus's capital offense in other words what crime did Jesus commit to be punished by at all by the Romans let alone by uh, crucifixion Uh, the scripture says here right in verse 37 and over his head they put the charge against him which read this This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Uh, So the implication there is that perhaps Jesus was a rebel rouser. Perhaps he was one who was trying to overthrow Roman authority, Roman government. And so that was his crime. But Jesus committed no crime. Uh, If you read through the gospel accounts, was Jesus trying to, uh, to incite an insurrection against the Romans? No. In fact, when asked, uh, what should we do about paying taxes to Caesar? What does Jesus say? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. Right? So he wasn't uh, an insurrectionist. He didn't form a militia in order to install himself as a petty king over Israel. And indeed, the scripture tells us in 1 Peter 2, through 24, he committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And then Peter goes on to uh, tell us why it was that he suffered. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So why was Jesus on the cross? Well, we could say that it was because he did upset the religious leaders. Uh, Indeed, if we go in Matthew's gospel to chapter 23, we find that he says woes against them. And woes are this kind of strongest denunciation of, uh, of someone, of something. And he gives many woes against against the, the Pharisees, against the religious elite. Um, it's not normally a nice thing to be called a whitewashed tomb. Or a cup that's washed on the outside but dirty on the inside, right? You don't want that for yourself. You certainly wouldn't want to be called that. So he did upset powerful people in high places. We could also say it's because he didn't cow to the uh, Roman governmental authorities. He didn't... Uh, He didn't belittle himself by answering their questions. Uh, John 19, 10 tells us, uh, so Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Right. Pilate says, don't you know all you have to do is give me the information I need. Give me a good reason not to send you to the cross and I'll release you. And indeed, you see it much more, uh, in John's gospel, although we do see it in Matthew's, right, that there's this, this kind of wrenching wrangling in Pilate's conscience to send Jesus to the cross. Ultimately, uh, right, he ignores his conscience. He ignores the truth. He ignores righteousness, uh, in order to uh, not have a riot. But Jesus is not on the cross because of Jewish religious leaders or because of roman rulers because even there in john 19 in verse 11 uh, jesus responds to Pilate this way listen to this what jesus says jesus answered him you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin or we could look to the prayer of the early church in Acts four twenty seven through 28. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Right? Those are all the peoples involved in this. But what they say in 28, why is Jesus on the cross? To do whatever your hand and your plan have retested to take place. Jesus is not on the cross accidentally. It was the predestined plan of God. Jesus is on the cross bearing capital punishment, not for his sins, not for his crimes, but for his people's. That's what 1 Peter tells us. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He suffers on the cross because this is the will of the Father. And let that truth sink in. So secondly, the second question, what is the irony of this murder? And I call it a murder because, right, it's unjust, injustice. It's an unjust killing. So it's murder. What's the irony of it? Well, look at what the people say in verses 39 through uh, 43 here of Matthew 27, 39 through 43. Uh, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. These evil people deride and mock the Lord Jesus Christ. They mentioned this statement about the temple, but they failed to realize the truth of what Jesus said about the temple. John two eighteen through 22 gives us that context, gives us the understanding. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his di- disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Right? they mock him about this destruction of the temple, and yet this is exactly what he does. They say he cannot save himself; that's not his purpose john eleven forty nine through fifty two He says, I am the son of God, because he is the son of God. Matthew three sixteen through 17. And when Jesus was baptized immediately, he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Or look to the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, 5. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. All right Twice we hear the, the announcement from God in heaven. This is my Son. So it's not just that Jesus said it. He did say it, and it's true. But it's also that God the Father himself declared it. These foolish people here that we see in this text mock and deride Jesus. They mock and deride what they do not know. And how many there are today who, uh, in foolish jesting, mock and deride the only Savior? They mock and deride Jesus as weak, as a liar but those are the words of satan what they don't realize is that everything is going to plan everything is going to plan god's eternal purpose from the very beginning of creation was that christ jesus should die for the sins of his people thirdly our third question what is the pain jesus suffered What is the pain Jesus suffered? He suffered the shame of the mocking and deriding cries of the crowd, right? Certainly he suffered under the mocking and deriding cries of the Romans, the Jewish leaders, um, even those robbers crucified next to him, right? This is quite the scene when Jesus is there on the cross and even those who are being crucified next to them have enough strength in their bodies to say, Jesus, you're a fool. What are you doing? You're not the king of kings. You're not God's son. He suffered that. Jesus certainly suffered the pain of brutal beatings by the Romans. Right? They struck him, scourged him. They created a crown of thorns and twisted it together and put it on his head and then beat it down until it was stuck. When it came time to affix him to the cross, they likely drove nails through his hands and feet to make sure that he wouldn't fall down. Right. So before he even got to the cross, we know he was suffering greatly in his body. How do we know that? We saw that at the beginning uh, in verse 32, at the beginning of our passage here. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. The Romans would make the the, the person going to the cross sometimes carry their beam, and they did in this case. And, and Jesus' body was so weak after being beaten and scourged that he had to have help carrying it. He couldn't do it. Uh, John's gospel seems to indicate that Pilate made sure that the beatings were so brutal against Jesus that when he presented Jesus to them, that the hope was in Pilate's mind, again, this is kind of the wrangling of Pilate's conscience, uh, obviously not too much wrangling because he made uh, Jesus be beat for a crime he didn't commit. But the, the understanding is maybe that Pilate beat him, made sure that the Roman guards were were so fierce in their beating of him that when he presented them to the crowds that the people would look at Jesus and they would be outraged at the violence perpetrated by the Romans and and change their mind about him being crucified. But it didn't change anything at all, right? He suffered greatly. The physical pain inflicted by the Romans was great, but it was nothing in comparison to bearing the wrath of God. This is why Jesus went to the cross. And this is what Jesus leads to crying out in the deepest pain imaginable, what we see in verse 46. Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is a mystery here in that Jesus as the divine son could never be separated from his father. And yet he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What Jesus is suffering in his flesh is the removal of the divine favor. All of his life, right? All of his earthly life. And certainly this is something true of God, right? Is grace, grace. All his earthly life, certainly Jesus would have known the grace of God, God's favor, and yet here it is removed he who is the beloved son in whom god is well pleased becomes the son made to be sin colossians 2:13 through 14 tells us and you who were dead in your trespasses and and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What Paul is telling the Colossian church is essential for you and I to understand. All of the sins that you commit are an affront to a holy God. Your uh, your sinfulness, which is inextricably interwoven in you meaning it can't be just uh put off it is inner interwoven into your very nature your sinfulness puts you under a great legal demand god's justice demands your death and so you are dead You are dead under a record of debt that you could never repay. If you had spent, if you spent your whole life trying to repay it, you would never do it. It is an insurmountable amount. It is a debt that you cannot pay. But it is also a debt that you most certainly will pay for all of eternity in that place called the second death. Hell. The record of debt, this record of debt, with its legal demands, is set aside. And it's not waved and poof gone, right? This isn't a magic trick where, ooh, look at, the bunny disappears. It's not even like how our government does with with debt or uh, finances, right? By just saying, oh, look at now we just have 10 million more dollars. Boop. That's not that's not what happens. That's not what God does. God sets aside this record of debt by nailing it to the cross and understand that what was nailed to the cross wasn't some immaterial thing called sin. Right. It's not like it was just this immaterial object that's put up on the cross and that's it. No, it was a person. A person was nailed to the cross. Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 21, for our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus suffered greatly for the sins of his people and he suffered it with joy because he knew what lay beyond the cross. He he had joy because of what was beyond the cross, beyond the immediacy of his present pain. He had joy and he suffered it. He suffered that pain of the cross, not just the physical pain, but the wrath of God being poured out for sin in order that we who might believe in Jesus as God's son, we who would believe and trust in his work, that we ourselves might not have to suffer in the same way. He went to the cross and suffered the wrath of God that we who believe might not have to suffer the wrath of God. And so trust in Christ. Look unto Jesus and believe in him for the forgiveness of your sins. Go to God this day and pray that he would apply the work of Jesus to your account. That he would cancel the record of your debt with its legal demands. And so repent of your sins. Turn from them and turn to God and be saved. And if you think your sin is a light thing, if you think it doesn't really matter all that much, look to Jesus' suffering. Look to the wrath of God that he bore on that day. That wrath that you will bear for all eternity in hell if you do not trust in him. Think soberly of this event. What cost the Christ had to pay for sin? Fourthly, the fourth question. What is the disposition of Jesus' body? And this question is kind of an epilogue of sorts. And considering the answer of Scripture here, right? Considering what we see in the Scripture, we dispel any notion that Jesus was anything but dead, right? There are some modern authors that like to posit a fanciful, uh, fanciful theories. Uh, There are those who would think that Jesus just, he, well, he swooned on the cross. He just, he just kind of passed out. Now the Romans knew what they were doing, by the way. Matthew 27 59 through 60 tells us, And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. There's only one reason why you put a body in a tomb, because it's dead. The functions of Jesus' body ceased that day. They stopped. His heart stopped beating. His lungs quit drawing in air. His organs cease functioning. The Pharisees concern about the body of Jesus is not that he would raise from the grave, right? The Pharisees wanted Jesus dead and they would have made sure that he was dead. And their concern was not that he would raise from the grave, but that his disciples would come and commit a fraud by stealing his body and saying, Oh, Jesus is alive. Don't know where he went, but he's alive somewhere out there. Right, That's what we see in verses 62 through 66. And so what do they do? They go to Pilate, the Roman authority, and say, give us a set of soldiers and let us put a guard on the tomb. Let us seal it. Let us do everything possible to keep the body of Jesus where it's at. And so they do. And they think that this will keep the body of Jesus. But the tomb will not hold the body of Jesus. The Pharisees cannot stop what is coming on Sunday. The Roman guards will not secure the grounds. The stone will be rolled away and Christ Jesus will step forth vindicated, vivified, victorious in a word resurrected. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we truly cannot even comprehend what took place on the cross. We certainly cannot believe it unless you, O Lord God, send your Holy Spirit into our, our hearts, into our souls, and create faith within us, regenerate and renew us, give us new birth. And so, Father, as we consider afresh anew tonight, That which Christ has done, that which He suffered. God, how much our sins cost our Savior. We come anew to thank You and praise You and worship You. For Father, we would be dead without the death of our Savior. And we would have no life without His resurrection. God, we thank You. We do praise You. And we do worship You. So, Father, help these truths, help Your Word, to sink deep down into our souls. O oh, Father, that we would not sin against you, that when we sin we would repent and turn from it and turn to you, that we would trust in that work of Christ Jesus for our soul's sake forever. O oh, God, help us. And so we pray. In the name of our crucified, yet risen, and ascended Savior Jesus. Amen.